Hello, friend. Thanks so much for downloading this podcast. And with all my heart, I hope you hear something that edifies, encourages, equip, enlightens, and then engages you in the marketplace of ideas. But before you go and before you listen, I want to take a quick moment and explain to you this month's truth tool. The book is called I Believe, A Concise Guide to the Essentials of the Christian Faith. You know, it's paramount as followers of Christ that we not only know what we believe, but why we believe it. So questions like heaven and hell, angels, the Trinity, all of these are foundational issues for believing Christians. But sometimes we don't fully understand what it is we believe about Christianity. So the book, I Believe, A Concise Guide to the Essentials of the Christian Faith is just that. It's concise and it's a wonderful guide to explain to you the cornerstones of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. It's yours for a gift of any amount because In the Market with Janet Partial is a listener-supported broadcast. We stay on the air because you pray and give. So if you'd like this month's Truth Rule, just call 877-JANET-58. Ask for a copy of I Believe. That's 877-JANET-58. Or you can go online to InTheMarketWithJanetPartial.org. Scroll to the bottom of the page. There's the cover of the book. Give a gift of any amount. We'll send it to you as our way of saying thank you. While you're on that website, you might want to take a moment, scroll down just a little bit farther, and there's a description of what it means to be a partial partner. These are people who give at a level of their own choosing, and they give every month. They get the truth tool if they ask for it every single month, and they'll also get a newsletter, only people that do, that includes an audio portion that only goes to my partial partners. So if you want to be a partial partner or you're just interested in giving one time to get a copy of I Believe, 877-JANET-58 is the route to go, 877-JANET-58, or online at InTheMarketWithJanetPartial.org. I Believe, a great book for you to put in your backpack as you continue your Pilgrim's Progress. Now, please enjoy the podcast. Friends, this is Janet Parshall. Thanks so much for choosing to spend the next hour with us. Today's program is pre-recorded, so our phone lines are not open. But thanks so much for being with us, and enjoy the broadcast. Here are some of the news headlines we're watching. By the time the conference was over, the president won a pledge. So Americans worshiping government over God. An extremely next... rare safety move by a nation. 17 years, the Palestinians and Israelis negotiated. This Hi, friends. Welcome to In the Market with Janet Parshall. I am so glad we're going to spend the hour together. You know, you just heard that cacophony in the marketplace of ideas, all those ideas being bought and sold, some of them counterfeit goods, hollow goods, or if I can borrow from the words from Colossians, vain and hollow philosophies predicated on this world rather than on the Word of God. But I guarantee you when you walk around in the marketplace of ideas, one of the topics that's going to come up, and well it should, is how do we care for the least of these? How many times on this program do we talk about the fact that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, our desire is to be conformed or transformed to his image. That means there's going to be a lot of pushing and pulling by the potter on us. We fractured earthen vessels who, for whatever reason, have been given permission to carry his imperishable message. That should take your breath away. But if we're going to be conformed to his image, every time we read in the scriptures, he had compassion on them. That should move us to tears. It should also move us to action. He is God incarnate. Why would he be moved to compassion? He would know how the story would end. He would know as he wept with the sisters of Lazarus, then he would bring them back again. He would weep over and over again because he is acquainted with all our sorrows, right? 
And he's the one who binds up the brokenhearted. So this fully God, fully man, Messiah, Jesus, is one who had compassion on people. And he told us that the issue of poverty was one we were going to have to contend with. He talks a lot about the poverty of the soul, but he knew what real poverty was like as well. And so for the church in particular, how do we deal with people who struggle in this particular area? And we're glad that government has gotten involved, I guess, sort of up to a point. But what happens when government actually takes away the opportunity for people who live in impoverished neighborhoods to really discover who they are? and to figure out a way to rise. And that's what we're going to talk about this hour from a man who knows a little something about this. Now, you know, I get often asked, who are the favorite kind of people you like to talk about? And I always say people who can tell you about how their lives have been transformed through the power of Christ. But I'll be honest with you, there are some people that I view as my earthly heroes. And the man I'm going to talk to this hour is one of them. (laughs) Do you ever meet somebody and you just say, every time you're with them, I'm going to get emotional, you can say, you've seen Christ in their life. So whether Bob Woodson is on national television, or whether he's lecturing on Capitol Hill, he is gracious, he is godly, he is committed, he is wise, and he is one of these people who really has this excellent balance of knowing how to put the whole truth of the whole gospel in place for the whole world, particularly when it comes to those who are struggling in the area of poverty. So let me tell you something about my friend. He's the founder of the Woodson Center back in 1981. It's designed to help residents of low-income neighborhoods. He's a former civil rights activist. He headed the National Urban League Department of Criminal Justice. He's been a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Foundation for Public Policy Research. He is often referred to as the godfather of the neighborhood empowerment movement, Because for more than four decades, he has had a special concern for these neighborhoods, in particular young people. So in response to an epidemic of youth violence that's afflicted urban, rural, and suburban neighborhoods alike, Bob has focused much of the Woodson Center's activities on an initiative to establish violence-free zone in troubled school and neighborhoods throughout the nation. He is an early MacArthur Genius Awardee, the recipient of the 2008 Bradley Prize, the Presidential Citizens Award, I could keep going, a 2008 Social Entrepreneurship Award from the Manhattan Institute. He is a superb author. He is a man who is a visionary. He's a man who suffered, quite frankly, the slings and arrows of outrageous criticism from all corners of culture. And yet this godly man just continues to persevere in understanding that real redemption is possible, not just for an individual but for a neighborhood as well. Bob, I am thrilled. Thank you for the gift of this time with you. I can't give it back to you, and I'm so excited to discuss your newest book, Lessons from the Least of These. So thank you for being here. Well, thank you. I have been a long, long time fan of yours. I still remember uh, many decades ago a show you did when you went into great laborious detail about how each of the founding fathers personally suffered for their commitment to liberty. I will always remember that. Bob, I thank you for that. And I wanted to ask you a question. I love lessons from the least of these. What wonderful principles, and I'm so excited to share them with our audience. But Christ weaves his way through everything you do and everything you say in the book. Tell me about your relationship with him. When did that start? Well, you know, I grew up uh, in South Philadelphia during the Depression, my, into a little low-income neighborhood. My dad, and very close to that neighborhood, we were all poor, but all the households had a man and a woman raising children. My father died when I was nine and left my, my mother with a fifth-grade education and five children 
to raise from nine to seventeen and um and so I grew up in and really developed close ties with a small group uh of men and 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 so but i and so i i quit high school and went into the military and found myself uh in segregation but studied hard and graduated and finished the military and then came out when i was working in the juvenile jail uh, to get my undergraduate degree i was locked behind three doors uh with 65 juveniles with no program and i just my heart i i i just lost my heart to these young men there were six of them i would have adopted if i had the opportunity and the money to do so but one day, as I was taking them to unsecured areas of the jail, and uh, so I could give them a party, um, and I trusted them because if that incident occurred, I would have been fired. But what happened when I walked back to, with the boys to clean up? They all spontaneously stood up and applauded, and I turned and I had and walked away because I was overcome. I had a burning bush experience before I knew what a burning bush was. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, let me pick it up there. You hear the music. I have to take a break. I am thrilled that Bob Woodson is with us. He's got a brand new book out called Lessons from the Least of These, and it really and truly extols the virtues of the principles that he talks about in the Woodson Center, something he's been doing for many, many, many years. And I got to tell you something. The reason people love Bob is because it's commonsensical, but it's ministerial in its approach. How do you take toxic neighborhoods and let people who have a background X in front of their name, an X this, an X that, how do they bring redemption to that neighborhood? That's what this book is all about. We'll talk much about that when we return. What do Christians really believe? What do we stand for? Do we know the essentials of our faith? That's why I've chosen I Believe as this month's truth tool. Know what you believe and how to convey the truth of God's word to a hurting culture. As for your copy of I Believe when you give a gift of any amount to In the Market, call 877-JANET-58, that's 877-JANET-58, or go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. I'm thrilled you're going to join me this hour because you're going to hear from a man that is much loved, respected, and admired, known as the godfather of the neighborhood empowerment movement. Bob Woodson, for years, has been helping residents in low-income neighborhoods address the problems of their own communities. And he's he's countercultural in so much of what he thinks and believes, but he's seen results. And, you know, the truth is its own defense, and when you get a positive outcomes— those virtues, those principles should be extolled. And that's what he does, by the way, in his latest book. It's called Lessons from the Least of These, which really takes a look at what he calls, as the founder of the Woodson Center, the Woodson Principles. And we're going to get into that. But I, I got to take you back to jail with those young people where you had to turn away and you had that burning bush experience, you said, without knowing what a burning bush experience was. But <laughs> don't leave me there. I want to hear some more. Well, what happened? I just couldn't understand why I was so emotional, why I was crying. And, and I had to walk on the grounds because you can't let those boys see you cry. But mm. my, my, my partner had to take the boys back through the jail unsecured, and they never uh, uh, caused any problems. But from that day on, I knew that I had to direct my life away from my study of math and science. So I have an undergraduate degree in math and science. And then I went on to the School of Social Work thinking that what I need to develop this desire was psychological training. But I soon found that that was not the answer. 
But I found it one day, Laura, when one of my grassroots leaders, Leon Watkins, that I talk about in the book, was living at 62nd and Pico, a gang-infested neighborhood, and he and his three kids and his wife would just cower down. He decided that he had to do something as a man of God, so he put up wanted posters for the gang <laughs> and gave a telephone, a number of a telephone booth. He played games with them for two weeks. So finally he agreed to meet with them um, and, and on a, 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 at the back of his home. And then, so he came walking down the street, uh, the back alley rather, with these two carloads of boys, one of them with guns flying, and they asked him what he wanted. He said, I want to talk to you about your life. Leon sat on a trash can talking to the leader for two hours. The next day he had him in Bible study. Mm. Wow. And within one week he had the whole 26-member gang in Bible study. <laughs> and um, they, so they went from um, terrorizing the community to really helping to protect the community um, he had them meet the black business leaders, and they began to hire them to paint. They began to secure the neighborhood. And I said, Leon, how did you do this? And he pulled out the gospel, and we sat down in his living room for five hours with his wife, with him reading from the gospel, telling me what script he followed. Mm. I was just blown away by that. And so then I began to call him when I was encountering a situation in my life. I said, Leon, what's the gospel say about this? And he would say, read this, read that. And and so my, my walk with Christ occurred in that jail when I was inspired to redirect my life, but it was, was made very concrete to me when I witnessed Leon and that, that peace with that group remained permanent. Leon uh, died last year, but that young man is 57 years old today, and he has a grandfather. What an amazing story. And you talk about changing a neighborhood. In fact, I love this. You talk about the champions are those quiet heroes working within our inner cities, transforming lives one by one. First, you note, Bob, through the redemption of Christ and fellowship with one another. So these gang members became participants in a Bible study because of the transforming power of the cross. Now, and we're going to get into some of the principles from the Woodson Center, but some might say, oh, come on, Bob, that's too simplistic. You've seen it since 1981. Lives we know can be turned around because of the gospel. Can neighborhoods be turned around as well? Absolutely. I, I, I can. There are endless stories like that, I can tell you. And, and, and the difficulty people have of embracing it is because it is unusual. In, in other words, one of the principles in the book is a witness. A witness is more powerful than an advocate. Yes. And so uh, I, can, I can introduce you. So, but it, at least it, it, it equipped me to know what to look for. And so I went to other cities looking for people like Leon, and the qualities that make them effective makes them invisible. They're not protesting anything. They're not whining and complaining. They're just busy doing the work. And you've got to be like a Geiger counter and go find them because they're not looking for you. <laughs> and that's marvelous. Let me linger here a little bit. In fact, this would be a good place for me to ask you about a man that you reference in the book, a pastor who really and truly talked about the power of an ex. Tell me who Pastor Freddie Garcia is. Freddie Garcia, God rest his soul, was a man who had a profound impact on my life. 
he was a a, a a drug addict. He 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 and his wife were were on drugs. They and he he just he was at the very bottom. And he said jail didn't cure him, nor did psychology. He said if my if my problems were uh, were in other words, he went through everything, all the rehabilitation jail. It was only when a man came to him and put his arms around him and said, I have a fix for you. Come. And he took him into a, a church, a chapel in Los Angeles. And Freddie said, I just went there looking for drugs. And I was on my knees. And when the pastor call, had altar call, I didn't, know, I didn't know who Jesus was. But he said, all of a sudden, it was like an arm around my heart. And it kept squeezing. And I had to get up from my knees. And this nasty outfit I had on. I was so dirty that you couldn't even tell what color my pants were or my shirt. But I came to the altar and tears just flowed down my cheeks. And all of a sudden I felt cleansed. He said it was the strangest feeling he ever had. And this person who took him in, took him and got him cleaned up. And Freddie said, I didn't need a 12-step program. I just need Christ to enter my heart. And once he did, there was no room for sin anymore. No, no, no place for drugs, and as a consequence, wow. he just he turned his life around, and he and his wife, and then started a ministry. Yeah, I'll tell I'll you about. Yes, in fact, that's a good place, Bob. Let me pick it up at that point when we come back. Lest you think that there isn't power, transforming power in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and lest you think that your relationship with Christ is over there. It impacts the entire world. It changes a man, it changes a family, it changes a community, it changes a state, it changes a world. That's the power of the cross. Back after this. What a privilege it is to spend the hour with Bob Woodson, who's the founder of the Woodson Center. They've been impacting neighborhoods and coming alongside these these heroes in low-income neighborhoods since 1981. And boy, I'll tell you what, they have such profound stories to tell, such wonderful advice to offer. And so he put together what he calls the Woodson Principles in his latest book called Lessons from the Least of These. And really, it is so countercultural to so much of the stuff you hear coming out of Washington. Bob and I know Washington. Bob is a resident of the state of Maryland. I'm a resident of the state of Virginia, and we intersect in Washington, D.C. So we're going to get to that business. Where is that where our solution is found? Well, Bob Woodson says, no, there's another way to look at this. So I want to go back, and I think this ties in beautifully to the story of um, Pastor Garcia and how he, as an ex-drug addict, really started a ministry called Outcry for the Burial. Burial. He talks, Bob, about why X in front of your name is really a very good place to start. I think of Paul talking about, and such were some of you. If your life has been changed, what a wonderful way. This goes to the witness principle you talk about. It also goes to the competence princi- competency principle you talk about. Talk to me about that. Yeah, well, as Pastor Freddie said, that he, he and his wife then served as a witness. So he opened his house to people who are on drugs, and he would only take the worst people. And and all of a sudden they start, he said, if our problems were economic, God would have sent an economist. If our problems were education, he'd have sent an educator. <laughs> but since our problems were sin, he sent a savior. Uh, and so with that kind of attitude, he began to minister to people in his own home. 
And then when they filled up, the, the, the men and, who, who, and women who came in began to work, and then they retired his mortgage and they bought the home next door. Um, and then they were sleeping, and, 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 and at the end of 10 years, he had 150 people, and then it, it extended to thousands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what Freddie would do, uh, it, he would bring people in from all over the country, and then he would, they would stay in residence, and then they would, he would send them out as disciples, and they would start ministries. All of his 150 satellite parachurches are all started by ex-drug addicts. Wow. who Fred, Freddie ministered to from all over the country. Amazing. Well, that goes, as I was saying just a moment ago, to the first principle of the Woods and Principles, which is the idea of competence. Because you say, look first among people suffering the problem for a solution. Well, you just described that perfectly with Pastor Garcia, did you not? Absolutely. And when again, when you when you I get met at the airport, I always ask people, well, how when did when did you, when did you change? And they can tell me the exact date. But Freddie, again, he goes under bridges uh, to get people who have in on heroin for ten years, and he would bring them. He would have people who are been in in thirty days recovery. They would minister to people who are coming off the streets. So and then people who are ministering to the ones who've been out for uh, uh, 30 days would be ministered to by people who've been out for six months. So mm. he set up a residential facilities. They had these little wooden barracks and a campus all over the city, and and and, and as thousands of people began to come in residence, all of our grassroots leaders around the country, when they would often send their own children there. Mm. Wow! So that unbelievable. And Freddie would only take in those who everybody else had given up on, and and some of these men coming out of prison would accept discipline from this small man, Pastor Garcia, because Freddie had an amazing ability to to get people to surrender to Christ, and and he had a level of humility such as I I was there one Easter, uh, Janet, and and. He was sitting on a bench away from the crowd. I said, Freddie, why aren't you out reading the relatives? He said, because, Bob, they keep coming up to me saying, thank you, Pastor Freddie, for delivering my son, my daughter, my dad, my mom. And I said, they get confused. I said, Christ delivered them. I'm merely his instrument. So eliminate Mm. the confusion. He said, I stay away from them. Wow. Wow. What a spirit of humility. This goes again to the idea... And you and I know this in Washington. We got more PhDs per capita in D.C. than any other city in the country. And the idea is that expertise is equivalent to the number of initials you've got after your name. You point out that a college certification sometimes is the biggest barrier to grassroots participation. Talk to me about that. Well, again, when you think about the, the gospel, the, uh, the, the leaders in the gospel, uh, in the Bible, all broken people. God doesn't use, uh, you know, the... the the, the, the well-educated, he uses people who are broken, and once they recover from that brokenness, they can serve as powerful witnesses to others that recovery and redemption is possible. Um, mm. And so that's, that's the message here, that, that people want to, people are persuaded by a witness. You know, I was testifying before Congress with two psychiatrists, 
and we were talking about the effectiveness of a Christ-centered program versus a therapeutic one. And I mm. said to them, I took my 13-year-old daughter there and my 16-year-old son to volunteer, and midway through NIFA, his wife told these two women, take Bob's daughter and my four granddaughters to the amusement park and dinner, have them back by nine at night. She said, relax, Bob. They are ex-heroin addicts and, and, and prostitutes. The kids will be just fine. <laughs> Bob Woodson is with us. He's the author of Lessons from the Least of These. And in this book, he describes what he calls the Woodson Principles. He founded the Woodson Center back in 1981. And he has come alongside multiple giants who are making a difference in stressed, low-income neighborhoods. And real transformation. By the way, this is not the stuff that makes the headlines on the Washington Post or CNN, but they're making headlines in heaven. The power of redemption, the individual and the community. And they go hand in hand, as Bob is explaining to us. I'm so glad I have more time with Bob. We'll continue right after this. Friends, this is Janet Parshall, and I want to take a moment to remind you that today's program is pre-recorded, so our phone lines aren't open. But I sure do appreciate your spending the hour with us. And thanks so much, and enjoy the rest of the program. Are you the sort of person who likes to have the inside scoop, who wants to be informed? When you become a partial partner, you're not only keeping this program on the air every weekday, you'll also receive exclusive benefits like personal emails from me. I'll help you learn how to look at the headlines with a biblical perspective. Become a partial partner today by calling 877-JANET-58 or go online to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. If you're just joining us, trust me, you're going to want to download this hour's podcast in its entirety. Made it easy for you. Just go to InTheMarketWithJanetPartial.org. Left-hand side, you're going to see the words past programs. Download this hour or any of the two hours we do every day going back a full year. But there's real wisdom that we're hearing this hour. And by the way, we often tend to compartmentalize our relationship with Christ. We amen it on Sunday. Monday comes along. We don't have a clue. But as Bob Woodson is talking to us, you begin to understand that when your heart is transformed, your mind is renewed, you are a new creature in Christ. Old things pass away. All things become new. Now, that just isn't a nice Sunday school idea. That has profound ramifications, not just for the individual like Freddie Garcia, who went on to have this marvelous ministry who led people to Christ so they could be delivered from their addictions. But it has a wonderful way of impacting the very neighborhood in which people live. Stress neighborhoods. Bob often calls them toxic neighborhoods. Back in 1981, he founded what he called the National Center for Neighborhood Enterprise. Now it's called the Woodson Center, and I'm glad it is. It's named after Bob Woodson. But its desire is to be able to help low-income people transcend their impoverished conditions and the obstacles that they confront. So his latest book is called Lessons from the Least of These. And he's a wonderful author, by the way. And he's put together 10 principles that really are emblematic of these heroes in these neighborhoods who help bring about real, lasting redemption and transformation. So we talked about competence. We talked about witness. Something else is about the concept of integrity. And Bob, you write this, relationships are the necessary condition for transforming others, and trust is the common currency. Before you can help others, you need to uncover and acknowledge your personal motives and level of commitment. Then, seek out leaders that are moral practitioners of virtue, honesty, and integrity who are trustworthy and honest. One test of their authenticity is if they are willingly, if they willingly point to those who have helped them 
by who have been helped by them or their organizations. Now, integrity. In fact, I love the fact that you included the quote by Chuck Swindoll. Um, I heard J.C. Watts quote this years ago as well when he talked about integrity being defined as what you do when nobody's looking. That pierced my heart, and it's been with me ever since. Why, if you're really going to transform not just a person but a neighborhood, why is integrity so crucial? Because uh, people are inclined to follow people who are trustworthy. And, and trustworthy people are also transparent. Mm. They don't hide their sins. They confess it. They, they acknowledge their vulnerability. And te- integrity just, it, 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 like you say, it, it, it reveals itself. It's self-revealing. Because if you're able to share your own brokenness, your own, your own trials and tribulations, it establishes trust with other people because they know that you're not trying to hide. You're not trying to act superior to people. Pastor uh, uh, Freddie has a practice that if someone gives and preaches in his church, right after he has to, when he leaves the pulpit, he has to go into the men's room and take a paper towel and wipe out the sink. As an act, wow! As an act of humility, that the that the the front of the church, the dais, is reserved for the new convents, not for some mm. fancy preacher who's coming in. Yeah. Wow! And so, and so integrity and transparency; these are things are not abstractions. That he has exercises. You have to you have to practice being honest. You have to practice being transparent. I tell people. When I'm driving down the street and I'm and I'm in a hurry, I yield when I have the right of way. That's another way you can reveal trustworthiness. Whether someone is so concerned about protecting themselves, they'll do it at the price of hurting you. In that same principle, when you talk about integrity, you declare that racism obscures the truth. Talk to me about that. One of the worst phenomena we have to do is racism as if somehow we're defined by our race. We are defined by our character. That should be the the determinant, the content of our character. But there are people who are exploiting the racial issue because they're trying to, they have evil intentions. Uh, And that is they're using the black community's experience, the, the, the birth defect of slavery, as a bludgeon to to, to, to really destroy this country. The very fact that these Black Lives Matter people migrated from seeking social justice for blacks to burning Bibles in Portland to denigrating the Christian cross uh, and because they say it's a symbol of white supremacy. So their intentions are obvious. And so that's why all of us have to stand together and deracialize race. That is what mm-hmm. we have to do. Because the pain that's in the hearts of those people in Silicon Valley, where there is two-parent households, people with master's degrees, the suicide rate is six times the national average. And, and so the biggest challenge that those, those communities have is a sense of emptiness and a sense of loneliness, a sense of isolation, and that can only be filled with Christ. And so that white mother who lost a 17-year-old daughter to suicide has more in common with the black mother who lost a 17-year-old daughter in homicide in the inner city. Mm-hmm. They, that, that, and so in, in order for both to be healed, we must get race out of the way and then yes. bring them these communities together so we can labor together to find out how we can heal this hurt heart of ours. 
and how we can find, see Christ to help us to heal this hurt uh, heart of ours. And so this is kind of where we need to come together. But we can't do that as long as we're separated by this false barrier of race. Yeah. Amen. Absolutely. You, Bob, con- continuing in that same vein, for years, since I've first met you, you've talked about how impacting fatherlessness is. Why is this crucial? And how, if you're going to take a broken neighborhood and put it back together again, how do we reinstate the value, the necessity, the purpose of a father back into a neighborhood? Well, there is... Right now, you know, the the, the, the black community has suffered um, a decline in two-parent households, even throughout the Depression. The marriage between 1930 and 1940, the marriage rate was higher in the black community than any other, any other group in society, and elderly people could walk safely in that community. But with the 60s, where we had uh, welfare replaced the father's, and they were encouraged to rely on not on fathers but on the government. We saw this huge decline occur, but all is not lost. And so, what we have done at the Woodson Center in in, in our effort of 1776 is that we've reached out to young men who, uh, like Leon and others, who, when once they have become redeemed, then these young men. Uh, are become healing agents, and we recruited them to be surrogate fathers to younger young men. So I have mm. uh, uh, 20 ex-gang members who, once they've changed their lives around, are now character coaches and moral mentors to young people who are, are five and six and seven years old. And as a consequence of reestablishing father, fatherhood in these neighborhoods, we have been able to transform and and lead these. Sometimes they're called coaches. It's it's stunning, the effect that this has. Now, what you didn't say, and I want to underscore this because you talk about this in the book, is your mentors, your coaches, these surrogate dads, these character builders, that isn't a government program. And while it no, represents not... Christ, it's not even a bona fide, you could say, church program per se. So no. where, how do we, I'm I, I, beyond excited when you hear the things that you're doing and seeing, Bob, but what's interesting is it, it's, it's a different amalgamation. We expect either solution to come from the government, and you talk about the fact that the government has spent $22 trillion, this is right from your book, uh, on social welfare programs over the past 50 years, and it's not moved the needle on ending poverty. So it raises a whole bunch of questions. How do we create more of a catalyst for exactly what you're doing? If you do it in a government program, they're going to people jump up and down and say, don't you dare tell them about Jesus. If you do it just as a church program, some might say, well, we need more funds to be able to do it effectively. So how do we make this happen without the dependence and the control of government and yet foster the role that the church can and must play in all of this? Well, what we do is we quite a lot of private donors to contribute. These young men have volunteered for 22 years. They have been peaceful, wow. and yet they continue to volunteer. It's because this has become a part of their... They've, first of all, they've gone back and being a responsible father to their own children. And, and so we must come together, uh, private support, and and but we need models of moral excellence, uh, and 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 so we, the, the, so we just need to harness this desire on a part of uh, of these young men to give back from what they receive. I told them what we extended to you is not charity, 
that that the fundamental of, of a, a healthy relationship is that you give in return for what you receive. Mm. And there, there's there, that a life that, that that when you make people who uh, make them responsible for somebody else, it trans it continues to keep these young men on the path of righteousness when they know that their life when their others depend on their lives. Yes. You cannot fund that. You that's not a program. It is a calling. Yes, yes, yes. I know as you're listening all across the country from Guam to the Cayman Islands, you know how true this is ringing in your heart. I want you to get excited about this. Again, this is all tied back to the redeeming power of the gospel, changing lives, changing minds, changing communities. It is so powerful. This is the good news story that needs to be shouted from the rooftops. The book is called Lessons from the Least of These. It is the Woodson Principles, right out of the Woodson Center, founded by my friend Bob Woodson. More after this. There are so many excellent, excellent ideas in Bob Woodson's brand new book, Lessons from the Least of These. Now do you understand why he's one of my heroes? I just, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, the scripture says, and owes what he's seen, lives that have been absolutely transformed. This is the stuff, by the way, that should be making the evening news every night. But that's not where we're at as a nation. As Bob said before, you foment the idea of racism in this country. You fail to herald those old traditional values that have defined the black community, by the way, for so many years. And you begin to understand why Bob is not only a prophetic voice, but he's a powerful voice in the days in which we live. Bob, of course, founding the Woodson Center in 1981. There are 10 principles in this book, by the way, the Woodson Principles. And even with the irreplaceable gift of one hour of Bob's time, I'm not going to get to them all. But if I got you curious enough to get the book, I have done my job. I love reading this. There is so much power in the gospel. If you don't get excited about who Jesus is and what he can do in, for, and through us, I'm afraid you're asleep. And that's why Paul nudges you in the ribs a bunch of times and says, awake, oh sleeper. I want to go to the principle of grace. How does this work into all of the principles here about helping a low-income toxic neighborhood? That is one of my favorites. Uh, but I also want to say that if your listeners want to know more, know more they, can, they can go on our website, thewoodsoncenter.org or 1776unites.com. They can get more details about what they can do uh, to help. But Grace, I want to tell a story, if I, a real fast story about Grace. And it's in Robert Smalls. He was born in Beaufort, South Carolina, a slave. And he was working on a, a, a federal, I mean, a, a southern supply ship. And on Friday night, when the the shipmaster went into the town, he stole the ship along with his other crew's family, picked up their families, and put his master's hat on and, and came through five garrisons and turned the ship over to the Union Navy, which which resulted in he was celebrated and uh, made an officer, and Lincoln enabled uh, blacks to fight in the Civil War. After the war was over, he became a successful businessman and member of Congress during Reconstruction, went back and purchased a plantation on which he was a slave, and took in the family of the slave master, the wife and the children that become destitute. And because she was delusional, he allowed her to sleep in the master bedroom. Mm. 
There is an example of radical grace in action. You say and this. You say, go go ahead. So it's it's that's just an, uh, an example of radical grace in action. And there are other stories like Dr. King and others who who really, um, even though they suffered directly, they 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 they, they were never resentful. And Frederick Douglass the same. So in my book, I talk about radical grace, how people turn and forgive mothers, fathers, even though they may have been abused. Uh, they've come from troubled backgrounds. You cannot linger on despair or what happened to you or hold grudges. Um, and, and so radical grace is one of the characteristics, a very important principle, grace yes. in action. You write, love and respect others, even when it's inconvenient. Boy, that's biblical. Look at the neighborhoods as filled with people who have potential, not dysfunctional victims. The foundation of grace is radical forgiveness, a refusal to be held back by what used to be a hindrance in your life, real or imagined. Be free of bitterness, regret, and uncertainty about the future. One of the 10 principles you write about in your new book, Lessons from the Least of These. I love the challenge at the end. And by the way, I have a link on our website to the Woodson Center so you can learn more because there is something you and I can do. We're not just having a conversation as much as I'm loving this. This is stirring a sleepy church, capital C Universal, to be all that Christ has called us to be, to understand again the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you say this, you're convinced that the bondage of that hopeless and dependency could be broken by giving voice to the black heritage that was marked by determination, self-sufficiency, and achievement. The truth is that values such as strong families, religion, patriotism, and self-reliance are deeply rooted in authentic black history. However, the significant gains of the civil rights movement were built and won by people employing America's founding principles and values, not just protest tactics. Unfortunately, this new group of civil rights warriors has all but abandoned these values. Talk to me more about that, Bob. Well, unfortunately, the civil rights movement that delivered blacks from segregation has morphed into a race grievance industry. The $22 trillion that we have spent by the government, 70 cents of every dollar goes not to the poor, but those who serve the poor. They ask not mm. which problems are solvable, but which ones are fundable. Mm. So we have created a commodity out of the poor and wonder why we continue to fail. And also, if race were the problem, then why are blacks failing in systems run by their own people? For the last 50 years, these cities where all of these inequities are occurring um, have been run by black politicians, black uh, liberal black Democrats. So obviously, um, they, uh, if race were the issue, then why are blacks failing in systems by their own people? And so this is why we're saying that the answers will not be found in government it, and that it is elitism is more of a barrier than, than, than is uh, racism. Elitism, this notion that low-income people, because, they, because they're uneducated, doesn't mean that they're unwise. Yes. And so, and, and so we need to understand that, the, uh, that in our market economy, uh, entrepreneurs are C students, not A students. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. Bob, I thank you so much. This hour has gone far too quickly. Do you think, one last question as we close out an hour that I've just treasured and look forward to more conversations with you in the future. You are markedly countercultural, and so was Christ, so that puts us in pretty good company. 
you've been doing this since 1981. Do you think real lasting change is possible or is this always going to be an uphill battle? It's going to be a battle, but I remember when, when David and Goliath, I know who won that fight. Yes, that's exactly right. Bob, blessings to you. I want to tell my friends again, the book is called Lessons from the Least of These, from the Least of These. That means people who've been making changes in their own neighborhoods. And it all begins in that personal redemption with Jesus Christ. Again, you know, you think that public policy is so distinct from the gospel of Jesus Christ, from people who say, we're just called to evangelize. Well, I'm glad that people like Pastor Freddy Garcia evangelized and then as a result of that ended up changing the barrio. You can change the world through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Bob knows that full well. So check out the book, In the Market with JanetParshall.org. Click on that red box that says Program Details and Audio. And there's the book, Lessons from the Least of These. If you care, if you really care and you want to make a difference, read what Bob has learned from those great heroes who are making changes, lasting changes in their own community. Blessings to you, friends. We'll see you next time.